This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Jamal James talking about onboarding new devs to the Lightning Network. This is a really good episode. Jamal and I talk about Polar. We talk about how we can get devs onboarded onto Lightning Network. Several calls to action, several of them. That's a bit of a joke, but I think these calls to action are very helpful. They're inspirational and they give a kind of clear pathway to listeners to help them get off zero. Before we jump into the show, we have a couple of reminders. If you like the content that we put out and wish to see it improve and get better over time, please consider supporting us. You can find the different ways of supporting us on lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. You can go to a merch store at store.lightningjunkies.net or you can join our Sphinx Chat tribes thing. I don't know what to call it exactly, but it's our Sphinx Chat chat room. Go to tribes.sphinx.chat and you can locate us by searching Lightning Junkies. We like to eat the community's dog food around here. Now that all that information is out of the way, let's go ahead and get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. I would like to go ahead and welcome Jamal to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today, Jamal? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for asking. The reason why I wanted to get you on the show is because you work at Lightning Labs. Uh, you're, You're known for developing Polar. We'll go into what that is here in a bit. When I asked Twitter, you know, I, I got you uh, multiple times. So I thought you would be a good pick for someone to talk about all these uh, different topics and how we might be able to get more Lightning devs onboarded here. Great, great. Yeah, sounds good. I'm excited to be here. I kind of wanted to start off with a little bit more of the simpler stuff. Like, I don't know much of your background. Would you be willing to kind of give us your pre-Bitcoin, pre-Lightning background? And then we'll kind of get into how you found Bitcoin and how you got into Lightning. I'm based in the U.S., Went to college here and studied computer science. Actually, after graduating, I didn't do development immediately after, but I spent time a few years doing like IT for a pretty large company, like Fortune 500, you know, thousands of employees. So, you know, some IT and automation and a bunch of stuff there. But then actually, after leaving that company, I actually started my own company with a co-founder of mine. I was on the software side, but... We basically offered like websites and marketing tools and web-based application software for uh, the restaurant industry. I spent over 10 years working on that business and kind of developing, building a team, building software, you know, online for that industry. Um, so that's where I kind of got most of my development experience. You know, I was hands-on in the early days of working or building that company. You know, I, I learned a ton just seeing the industry morph from, you know, back in the early days of doing application level development on the web, you know, there wasn't much in terms of front end frameworks. The front end role actually didn't even exist back then, which was pretty funny to see the evolution of building on the internet and on the web. So pretty much came from that background prior to getting into Bitcoin and Lightning and such. 
It's kind of interesting that you built a company that was doing restaurant management software, if I'm understanding. Yep. Is that an interest that you still kind of have? You still kind of like restaurants or restaurant management, or is that kind of by the wayside now? It's an interesting industry. I mean, I definitely gained a lot of experience in understanding how small restaurants and operators work, how they think, you know, what kind of challenges they face in, in running and operating their business. Uh, so I, I can't say it's like a, a strong passion of mine, but, you know, it was definitely learned a ton just being in that industry and speaking with a lot of the you know owners of, you know, small mom and pop places, pizzerias, delis, you know, to catering places and, and burgers and all kinds of different uh, businesses in that industry. So, you know, I, I actually spent a lot of time as well dealing with payments because we had, you know, like an on- online ordering platform. We did integrations with multiple payment processors from, you know, the PayPal's and the Stripes to the more lesser known, but much more well-established players like Card Connect and uh, Authorize.net. And I definitely learned a ton about payments from that industry. But as far as, you know, um, looking forward, I, I definitely say, you know, Bitcoin's kind of taken a huge portion of my mindset, <laughs> you know, and, I would say I definitely have a, a more of a passion for Bitcoin than I do for the restaurant industry. Would you say there was a linear path from your experience with like payments there, or was it a little less straightforward there? I would say it wasn't immediate, obvious, you know, because I, I definitely heard about Bitcoin back in 2012, 2013. So I kind of immediately dismissed it. I didn't dive deep enough into it to really get an understanding of it. And I just kind of brushed it off like everyone does the first time they hear about Bitcoin. I wouldn't say the connection is like obvious, um, but I definitely think my experience and in, in seeing how the traditional payment system works, you know, how does money get from consumer through a website to a backend processor into the merchant's bank account, learned a ton there that I, I think definitely helped me see, you know, some of the benefits that Bitcoin brings to the table. How did you get your first start in in Bitcoin? Were you, you know, getting into the technology? Were you kind of more focused on, you know, making money, mining? What captivated your interest there? To be 100% honest, it definitely was the, the games that attracted me first. It was in uh, mid-2017 during the summer. After Bitcoin was already about three or 4,000 or something like that. When I became interested and I seen it, looking at the history of it come from, you know, well under $1,000 to all of a sudden, the previous year to all of a sudden, it's in the thousands and, and climbing. I definitely came at it from the more number go up <laughs> angle before diving into the technology. And to be honest with you, my initial, or maybe kind of dive deep into it prior to even getting to even know all of this was a business partner of mine who was interested in, in cryptocurrencies and he was more on the Ethereum side. He has a, a banking background, a more traditional finance, Wall Street background. He was more interested in like stable coins and Ethereum and, and that type of thing. And he had asked me to look into it to get my advice on it. So that kind of was the nudge that pushed me into just spending some hours just trying to understand what is this stuff. So I actually dove down the Ethereum rabbit hole initially prior to even making a switch into focusing on Bitcoin. Was there any particular reason why you ended up focusing on Bitcoin over Ethereum? From my perspective, the Bitcoin ideology, 
the narrative around, you know, a sound of money attracted me more. In my previous business, when the 2008 housing collapse and, you know, everything was falling apart and, you know, I seen how much damage that did to the economy and to, you know, a lot of normal people, especially the restaurant industry, you know, when people get tight with their purses, uh, the last thing they do is spend money going out in restaurants and bars and inside. You know, a lot of our customers were hurt from that business and in the same lines, our business also suffered a, a bit during that time as well. Seeing how just how all of this kind of the castle came crumbling, crumbling down for a short moment, it made me just in the back of my mind try to spend more time during that time back in 08, 09, 2010 to try to understand like what happened, you know. So we did a bunch of reading, watched a bunch of documentaries. And I had in the back of my head already that something's wrong with the system. The money's kind of broken. Uh, the way the, the systems are structured, it's not adding up. It's not, it's not clicking to me in terms of how this, how this stuff works. So with that as a backdrop into the back of my head, after I spent time working on the Ethereum side, because I was pretty amazed once I realized these, you know, that the, these blockchains solve the, the double sprint problem. You know, I've been working on the web for over a decade. So I just inherently knew that anything that's online, there's no uniqueness. There's no, one owner of any content that you put online, unless you're, of course, going through centralized systems. The thing that it, that really like shocked me and it was that solving of the double spin problem. I definitely um, understood that more, at least from a technical level. I think more than most. Once I got over that hurdle of just understanding what these things are, what are blockchains, what is Ethereum, what is Solidity, and all of these different new concepts, wallets, and you know, I never spent much time diving into the kind of lower levels of cryptography. So that was fairly new to me. I dealt with, you know, basic stuff like issuing SSL certificates for websites and things of that nature, or just from IT side, managing SSL and encryption from that level as a kind of a user or an IT administrator, but not so much at the lower level of understanding public key cryptography and elliptic uh, curves and signatures and, and all these things. So all of that was fairly new to me, but when I got into the tech, I'm sorry, I'm not even into the tech. I was still like, I got into the Ethereum side and then I started investing and then I spent some months kind of just focusing on the gains because I was still kind of nose down in my previous business. So, uh, you know, for I'd probably say half a year to probably towards the end or after the following in 2018, um, I want to say maybe springtime-ish. I was like, all right, it looks like the party's over now. Let me uh, let me see if I can find out how this stuff really works. And so I spent a fair amount of time exploring many different blockchains because, you know, at that time, there were dozens of tokens being launched every single day. So it was pretty overwhelming just trying to understand as a newcomer, like, what's good, what's bad, you know, what's crap, what's actually got potential. So I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out how all of these function, what makes them different, and and all of that stuff. You know, after kind of doing my research on many of the blockchains, I think what really stood out to me with Bitcoin was, like I said, the ideology of what it was trying to solve, the problem it was trying to solve. Also, the approach in terms of scaling with the layered approach versus scaling on chain. I, I definitely feel like these systems just inherently trend towards centralization. So you have to do everything in your power, you have to actively push against centralization in order to, you know, keep the, the benefits of censorship resistance open and permissionless and, you know, all the features of that Bitcoin is no and love. Uh, yeah, that, that's like a constant 
push towards getting that because economies of scale always push technology towards centralization. I saw how active in both the development community as well as the, you know, the, the economic users in, in of running their own nodes as being super important. Self-custody and, and building software and tools to support those scenarios being super important. All of those things just kind of added up to like, all right, this seems like, even though it's the oldest one, which, you know, people always say it's the, it could be the MySpace of, of crypto, you know, I realized it was actually the most robust and most conservative in terms of how they, the, the development process and how features and stuff were rolled out. But there was many different factors, which I kind of went over that kind of pushed me towards, you know what, all right, if I'm going to focus on something, uh, I'm going to focus on something that I feel more confident being here in, you know, one, two, five decades from now, because I'm going to be, you know, spending my own time and, you know, kind of intellectual capital, just learning about uh, what this is, how it works and diving deep into it. When you were kind of looking at Ethereum and kind of looking at Bitcoin and comparing the two different communities, their ideologies, et cetera, et cetera, would you say that Ethereum manages to attract more developers because it's so flashy in comparison to kind of Bitcoin's more boring, kind of slow dev cycle? I think in a sense, there's many different factors. I'd say one of the factors is the marketing and push toward developers. You know, I remember when I first started, you know, even a non-technical person came to me and, and talking about Ethereum and said, oh, Solidity is just like JavaScript. Many developers feel comfortable working in JavaScript. It's not C++ or, you know, one of the very low-level languages that are, you know, pretty high in terms of the scale of, you know, learning curve. Also, for a lot of younger developers learned how to write code in JavaScript. You know, JavaScript is probably one of the most widely used languages in development today and software development today. So I think there's just a wider audience of that market of developers. Uh, one thing that Ethereum did wisely is, you know, they kind of marketed the Solidity languages. You know, it's just like JavaScript, but, you know, history has told us it's nowhere near <laughs> what JavaScript is. If you're writing Solidity code, you got to be very, very cautious and very, very strict about what code you write Security is the biggest issue, which, you know, is typically not something that a typical JavaScript developers would have a lot of experience in. That angle played a big part. I also think they had a pretty big war chest coming from consensus that were funding a lot of these developer, whether it's the developer tooling, building out like, you know, Truffle and Ganache, the whole Truffle suite, building out the uh, web playgrounds building out the documentation and then all the different companies that were building on, on Ethereum were funded by consensus, whether or not they were sustainable in terms of uh, business models, you can debate on, uh, you know, but I think that that was a, a lot of the reason why they attracted a, a lot of the development community. You know, if you're a developer, I think the other aspect is the whole, you know, world computer. It's like, I can build something that will run forever. It's just... It speaks to developers. You can think about it as, as like the Apple App Store. I can build an application that already has tons of users and an ecosystem around it. And my app will just run on top of this platform that there's already users there, basically, um, in a sense. Those are kind of the big things that stand out to me on why many developers kind of travel down the Ethereum path. That's kind of how you got into Bitcoin over Ethereum. How did you get into Lightning? 
the biggest thing for me was my experience was in application level development, you know, building on the web stack, both back end and front end, but primarily not like lower level protocol development. I began contributing to some open source projects. I had a bunch of experience with uh, React.js and, you know, front end web application type things. My immediate journey kind of, or at least starting down the journey was like, I, I got to actually contribute. For me, that's the best way I learned, like, you know, reading books or watching tutorials or going through tutorials online. I don't really, it doesn't really stick until I actually get my hands dirty, dive into the code, start building. And then as I, you know, face challenges in building, I'll research in the moment. And those learnings are the ones that stick for me. I know not all developers are like this. For me personally, that's that's how I feel I learn the most. I just kind of wanted to dive in and get my hands dirty. So I, you know, I, I did read um, Jimmy Song's book and Andreas, Andreas's book uh, on the development side of programming Bitcoin. So just to get a, a good understanding, but I definitely wanted to kind of dive into some code. So I started contributing to um, Zap Wallet, Jack Mahler's Lightning Wallet was a, kind of my first step. And again, I chose Lightning over Bitcoin primarily because Two reasons. One was it was definitely more approachable from based on my experience doing application level development. You know, Lightning nodes had pretty good, like specifically LND had a really good API, both REST and GRPC that you can talk to, which was pretty common between what's already out in the industry. Like, like I said, I did integrations with payment processes. So communicating over APIs was very familiar to me, you know, with um, doing kind of Bitcoin protocol development. You know, that's much more low level, not really much in terms of, um, you know, like a UI type development, more on the security signatures, cryptography, optimizations on networking and, you know, trying to save 10% uh, space in the way transactions are encoded and stuff like that. So, or the peer-to-peer networking and trying to understand or trying to optimize and improve on much more low level topics. Um, so I didn't have experience there. So I felt like I kind of had to decide which way I wanted to go is do I want to come into the Bitcoin developer ecosystem and just learn something completely new to me, even though I have a background in development, not this particular type of development, or that I want to take the experience I already have and kind of bring that to the table in, in the Bitcoin enlightenment industry. And I just felt like I could have more impact contributing where I was familiar so that's kind of was the biggest decision on why I started working with Lightning in general. How does Polar fit into the mix and why did you start on that? When I first started doing development, I had to obviously set up a Lightning node or build uh, kind of a local Lightning network. You know, it's, it's pretty commonplace, for, like I said, for developers where if you want to write an application, you want to build an application, write code for your application, any external services that your application depends upon to communicate. In this case, uh, I'm building, let's just say, the Zap wallet. Building a wallet that sends and receives payments over the Lightning Network, then the external services, the Lightning Network, so or more specifically, a Lightning node. So it has to communicate. Your, the, the Zap wallet application has to communicate with that node. So in order to do that in kind of development environment, you know, obviously you don't want to be developing using real Bitcoin, you would set up like a local network, like a dev environment network, uh, which could be either, you know, on testnet or on uh, 
what they call a reg test, regression testing network, which basically the testnet is public. It's, you know, it's got blocks being mined every 10 minutes. So it's supposed to mirror mainnet as closely as possible. Um, but if you want to open channels or close channels or, you know, do anything that requires a chain, you're still bounded by the limitations of the chain of waiting for blocks to mine and waiting for confirmations, which could take, you know, 30 minutes if you need three confirmations for a channel. So I had spent not even a week <laughs> using testnet and I was like, you know what, this just isn't going to work. <laughs> trying to get my test environment set up. Uh, this is, it just takes too long. I can't iterate fast enough. Uh, so then I found about the, about the reg test environment and how to set up a local Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, all running on, on my laptop and I have full control over, you know, when blocks are mine. I can mine 100 blocks in a matter of five seconds versus waiting 30 minutes for three blocks to get mined. And then I could, you know, kind of reset the network. So if I, you know, somehow set up a node with five channels, I could wipe it all away and start all over again with just, you know, a command or typing in a few keys on the keyboard. So that was like kind of my start. And like I said, I, I started with the Zap Wallet and then uh, Willow Burn re- released the Lightning Jewel browser plugin, which, like I mentioned, since I came from the world of Ethereum, who had this browser extension called MetaMask, which was very popular in that ecosystem, I definitely felt like this needed to exist. And so when he created that, it was kind of in a first release, you know, not all features are there. So I was like, all right, I want to see this. This this thing needs to exist. Uh, I want to help push that along. So I then started contributing to that. And then as I'm going through that development process, I realized some pain points in getting started. One, it took a very long time just to get from zero. I have no software running on my local machine, but I want to contribute to this Lightning project to, okay, I have a local development environment, which I can start and stop at any time. It took weeks, literally, for me to kind of get comfortable and understanding. There's a ton of configuration flags. There's a lot of command line commands. And, you know, you want to kind of automate it as much as you possibly can. So writing shell scripts and, uh, you know, it's kind of a lot of individual setup and learning how to configure a local environment that I felt like was uh, a pain, to be honest. You know, coming from my background. Integrating with a lot of other services is much easier. Uh, it's, it's literally just, you know, either point to a URL and start writing the code. Here's the documentation or, you know, download this software, press this button, and then now you got an environment set up or some emulated software running. So there was definitely a disconnect. I kind of felt like I was taking a step back 10 years going from where I, where I was comfortable, where I was used to communicating with external services to going back into command line, config files, compiling from source and all these things. It was uh, just painful, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. I was just like, oh, man, this is it's got to get better than this. Uh, it's got to be a better way. So after doing a bunch of research and trying to figure out, like, all right, there's got to be some somebody out there that's facing the same problem that I'm having, getting my local lightning network set up. And um, I found a few tools that were command line based that automates building out a local network with just a few commands, but I felt like there's an opportunity for, you know, because I think a lot of times also when building a lightning network, the connections between nodes are very important, like the channels that are created. This is a great opportunity to actually build something with a UI that visualizes uh, the network, not just, you know, having the network actually up and running and functioning, but you get like 
six terminal windows with five different lightning nodes and, and a, a Bitcoin node running. And you're just seeing a spew of logs. And it's pretty like it's, it's hard to figure out what's going on, what payment got sent where and stuff like that. So that kind of was the, the thought process behind uh, initially creating Polar. And so I just kind of felt like this is a tool that I honestly was wanting to build for myself to do development on Lightning because <laughs> I was just kind of sick and tired of doing it the uh, command line and config file approach. Just um, had the idea, you know, kind of mocked up some pen and paper, some thoughts and, and, and on what I wanted it to look like. And then I just kind of got started doing that. How long did it take you from initially having the idea of writing it down to actually having a release out there for people to actually use? The first release took, uh, I want to say, a little over three months. Uh, you know, I was still working my day job. So this is just nights and weekends uh, working on Polar. And it took about three months from, you know, first line of code to an initial release, which only supported L&D at the time. But, you know, the basic functionality of creating a network, adding Bitcoin and Lightning L&D nodes and opening and closing channels was the first release that I kind of put out there and a little over three months, I want to say. Did you get a good response from the uh, devs out there that found your project useful? Yeah. So it's it's funny because it was kind of a slow uptick. Like, I think a lot of people just didn't know it. I wasn't big on Twitter. I didn't have a big following. And, you know, I, I had did a demo at uh, BitDevs in New York. Um, I based in New York. So in the Bit, BitDevs NYC. Uh, I was kind of regularly going to that meetup, did a demo there, and got a, a really good response from from the developers that were there. It wasn't like a huge wave. I think the the growth of Polar is increasing now more than it did initially. Is like more and more people are finding it more recently than they did back then. But from the handful of people that did see it or have played with it, many of them have given great reviews and feedback and. And really kind of was also happy to see this. Who would you say that Polar is made for primarily? Is it application developers? Is it anybody else? So I would say primarily for application developers. That's the main target is developers that have, you know, maybe experience outside of Bitcoin, outside of crypto in general that can build applications, whether it be mobile applications or desktop or web-based applications, but building applications in uh, either React-based, Angular, Vue, or, you know, even just Python and many of these kind of higher level languages and application frameworks that are built more for building out applications, not so much the protocol developers. Like I do know some protocol level developers that have played with it primarily just to test different situations because it's pretty easy to add a bunch of nodes and, and kind of monitor their interactions, even if it's just like Bitcoin core nodes. I have heard uh, a few people say that, oh, I've used it to test my my fork or my, my PR that I have open for Bitcoin core. I want to test how these two nodes interact. That definitely has happened. But primarily, I think application level developers appreciate it more because it's more familiar to kind of get started. And it's easy, you know, it's, you know, go to a website, click a download button, open an app, a few more clicks, and you have a Lightning Network in literally under 10 minutes. Whereas from many <laughs> developers prior to Polar, you know, that could easily be days, if not weeks of work just to get to that point, that same point 
And then just the ongoing usability of it is a lot better than command lines and config files. It just makes you a lot faster to iterate on your application and focus on your application rather than focusing on setting up your dev environment. Like the worst case scenario is, you know, you, you get a new laptop and you got to do that dev environment over again. <laughs> That's a painful experience. <laughs> is there any future developments or features on Polar that you're excited about adding or anything like that? Yeah, so I mean, there's a few ideas and more on the technical side. I mean, I think for what Polar does, it's it's close to kind of feature complete. Like, you know, the basics are there. You know, I don't want Polar to be like a full on management suite for many different nodes. It's not the, the intention. It's kind of to give you the basic functionality and surface the, the more important information easy in the UI that you can easily copy and paste, such as certificates, API keys or API credentials and paths to specific type of files and ports. That's kind of was my original goal. There's more to do, I think, in the tutorial education side, I would say, than there is on the technical side in terms of like just showing people like I think it's pretty self-intuitive, but it can always be improved from that from that standpoint. You know, I think most people can simply just download the app and figure out what buttons to click um, in order to kind of get started. But I think there needs to be more either video or written based documentation on, okay, this is what you want to do to get started. Okay, if you want to try to, you know, open your first channel or send your first payment or set up your own custom nodes for any reason or you know, just kind of explore the different common use cases that developers have of wanting to do and kind of walk them through it in, you know, tutorial form versus them kind of just having to fumble and figure it out on their own. I guess for our uh, junkies out there, that's a uh, call to action. If anyone has any kind of skill in this area and wants to help out a uh, cool project, contact Jamal and we'll get you connected on making that documentation. I think that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm, I'm definitely welcome all contributions. Um, that was actually another good thing I liked about Paul is I think a lot of the, at least uh, not a lot, but you know, a fair amount more than I expected of developers actually began contributing to Polo. Like, oh, this is awesome. You know, let me see if I can add some features. And it's still, uh, still receiving contributions today for, you know, just small little bits and pieces of upgrades to improve um, the Polo experience. So that was kind of a, a good sign. I was pretty pleased to receive that type of feedback. But for the most part, I think it's really just the maintaining Polar to be able to stay up to date with all the latest. So that's most of the work that I spend on it today is just making sure that when a new version of LND is released, I upgrade that or a new version of Bitcoin D is released or Eclair or C-Lightning. So as all these new nodes get updates, which you know happen pretty regularly, um, just making sure Polar is updated to support those versions so that application developers can always make sure their apps are compatible with the latest versions of those node um, software. We're going to kind of move on here. You created Polar. Um, you were still, you know, at your old business, uh, still plugging away there. How did you make the transition to Lightning Labs? How did you get in there? At the beginning of the year, it was kind of in my head like, all right, I really want to get into um, Bitcoin full time, you know, learn as much as I possibly can. I was getting pretty burned out with the nights and weekends thing because uh, I had you know, obviously built Polar during my nights and weekends in 2019. And so I um, 
you know, was working on looking at, all right, what do I want to, what do I want to work on next? And I was, you know, still contributing to other people's lightning projects, but I felt like, you know, like I said, I was getting pretty burnt out, you know, I have family and between work, family, trying to find time for Bitcoin. It was just pretty challenging. So, you know, like I said, I co-founded in my previous business, had already been in discussions with my business partners there and informing them about ideas about transitioning out of the company and moving on to, to something different. I kind of just happened to see, you know, early in last year in 2020 that Lightning Labs was hiring. There were there were a few different places uh, which I was interested in potentially working with or teams I was interested in joining. I, you know, reached out to Lightning Labs and began talking with, you know, Elizabeth and Lalu and a few of the other team members. Um, I actually had already met uh, Elizabeth and Alex at uh, Chainco residency from 2018. So I had, you know, small interaction with them, but that kind of led going through the interview process, the process, you know, communicating with them. And then, you know, we kind of both agreed that it would be a, a good fit. What attracted me to Lightning Labs was I, I think, one, I could definitely get closer to understanding or, or being on a, on a team that knew Lightning inside out. Like, you know, I feel pretty fortunate to work, to work on a team that um, really, really, you know, they basically build software that powers the Lightning Network. You know, they, they, know, this, they know this stuff inside out. Being able to work with them and to kind of grow my own experience level of Lightning has been super, super beneficial for at least even my understanding of how Lightning works. Because, you know, even as a developer, these Lightning nodes can be a bit of a black box. You know, you just kind of, you send data in and you get data out. Like, you, you don't really understand the complexity uh, that goes into it, but there is a lot of complexity that goes into it that gets kind of extracted away by their software. So I was really excited. You know, Lightning Labs is kind of one of the really great brands in the space in terms of the Bitcoin ecosystem. So we worked it out and decided to join and it's been uh, a great experience since. Just to be clear, what do you do for Lightning Labs? I do uh, front-end engineering, so basically a lot of the application-level stuff. So when I first started, I began working on an application called Lightning Terminal, which was released summer of last year. So Lightning Terminal is basically a UI for Lightning Loop. They have a Lightning Loop service, which is a uh, submarine swap service, which allows you to exchange in a non-custodial way funds on the Lightning Network or in Lightning channels and exchange them to funds in your wallet and basically a Bitcoin. So you can essentially, you know, go back and forth from in a channel to on-chain or on-chain to in a channel without needing to close channels. Uh, you just reuse the same Lightning channels over and over again. You know, Loop had been out for some time, I think uh, over a year at that point, but Lightning Labs wanted to build a UI to simplify the user experience of using Lightning Loop. I came on board and that was kind of the first project I started working on. Obviously, there's smaller projects in between doing more front-end work and building out that type of stuff. But the second project was uh, Lightning Pool, which is a non-custodial marketplace to buy and sell channels. So you can keep custody of funds, store them into a um, two of two multisigs, and purchase or sell Lightning channels on the Lightning Network because one of the big problems that people have on Lightning is getting inbound liquidity. So the team at Lightning Labs, you know, Elizabeth and, and Lalu, 
and others, you know, had this, or I think it was a lot of it was original idea, but, you know, they built this application pool, which allows me as a Lightning Node user to be able to state, you know, I don't have any channels facing me. You know, I can always open channels with my own fund to other nodes, but to get channels to open to me, um, I'm going to have to find people who want to open channels and kind of bargain with them. So this is ideal for a marketplace, as well as the people that have nodes that want to sell channels, they can actually earn a premium on top of that sale in order to actually earn more in addition to the routing fees that they earn by running a node. My next project was working on the UI for Lightning Pool, uh, which basically takes all of the functionality that's built into the node software and the command lines and surfaces that in a web-based UI that's easy to view. And that's also a part of the terminal application. Those have kind of been the, the bigger projects that I've worked on in uh, in the past year at Lightning Lab. Is there anything that's coming that you're excited about? Kind of a duplicate question here, but different topic. <laughs> Specifically from Lightning Lab, you mean? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure how much I could say. I mean, I, there are some things. <laughs> there are some things we're working on to improve, like the. Uh, like we, we just actually released, which I also helped out on, was a uh, documentation website, docs.lightning.engineering. Um, but we looked at some of the, the challenges that, you know, I faced, um, many developers face when onboarding. Kind of like the basic understanding of what Lightning is, how does this work from a very high level. Um, and then, okay, if I'm a developer, you know, I want to build an app. How do I do that? And so we created a step-by-step tutorial of building a Lightning application, uh, which actually uses Polar. There is a kind of step-by-step tutorial with source code that you can see how to communicate with the Lightning node. Uh, And then there's even more advanced documentation and and education around going to mainnet. Like, okay, what do you got to think about in terms of security? What do you got to think about in terms of liquidity? What do you got to think of in terms of stability, um, scalability, and your uptime? And, you know, many of the different topics that DevOps or system administrators need to worry about. So I was really happy to get that out. So I think improving on that is also something that we're working on and and further enhancing. I think that's where it's it's needed the most. That's where the most effort should be put into um, around this time because Bitcoin's in a bull market now. So... It's getting a lot of attention the past few months, and it's likely to increase for the rest of the year or even longer. There's a good opportunity to capture the the minds of new developers that are not doing or interested today in in crypto and Bitcoin and to capture or at least support them in their journey of understanding both what's capable now with Lightning Network as well as, okay, then then how? (laughs) How do I do it? See, I have an idea based on what you told me about instant payments. Okay, I have an idea, but how do I get started? So kind of guiding users through that journey of from zero to I have a functioning application is something that, you know, I personally am really excited about putting out there and getting uh, in front of more people. Well, hopefully hearing your zero to one journey will be helpful for some junkies and, and for our listeners in general out there. Mm-hmm. Kind of on that same topic, how do we onboard new devs in general? Like what's the biggest roadblock to that in your eyes? I would say the biggest roadblock 
is finding information. There's a ton of great information out there. Radar Tech has some great documents. OpenNOMS, uh, who's a, a Twitter user and has really great resources and documentation on how do you get started with the Lightning Network, setting up your own node and such. There's many other people out there. Alex Bosworth has great content on his GitHub. Um, so I think there's a lot of great content, but it's scattered like, in many different places on the web, whether for websites to GitHubs to Medium blog posts. You know, there's just a lot of great information about Lightning Network, but it's hard to find. Like you literally have to be in the weeds or just happen to be in some Slack or Telegram channel at some time when someone posted a link. You're like, oh, wow, look at all this great information. I never knew this existed. And so I think somehow surfacing all of that content into a place where you can just say, oh, you want to build on Lightning? Go here, start here, and I'll take you to all the different different content that's out there on the web that'll be helpful in your journey. Um, and if you know that content is obviously organized in some form or fashion, it would be great as well. But I think you know a lot of the community has contributed a lot of great content. It's just figuring out how to aggregate. I feel like that's that, that's the biggest hurdle that we face today because I think it's not a lack of content. It's actually just the discoverability of where that content is. As I recall, uh, Jameson Lop has a lightning resources page and there has to be a stupid amount of links on that page. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's very overwhelming, I'm sure, even for developers, just like, why do I want to take all this stuff on? Right. Do you think podcasts, you know, just kind of things like this, you know, not to toot my own horn right now, but do you think just general kind of marketing for Lightning Network is sorely needed as well? Yeah, because you'd be surprised at how many people don't know that Lightning is like up and running, fully functional. People are using it. If you're not like entrenched in the Bitcoin world uh, and, and, and also the kind of the Lightning world, most people just don't know. They, they think Lightning's still like coming in two years from now, like that, you know, that meme, <laughs> which is far from the case. Like Lightning works today. Many people are using it today uh, to send sets to and from each other. So I definitely think bringing that message to whether it's developers or just users in general, definitely the more we can have, the better. So, you know, podcasts like this or, you know, resources and, and getting getting the word out there as much as possible. Because I think there's a lot of, you know, other blockchains you look at. People call them zombie chains, like <laughs> blockchains where they're, they run, but no one's using them. Whereas, and they get a ton of publicity and People are always tweeting about them and they have their mobs on Twitter that's constantly trying to pump their bags. Um, but Lightning is like the complete opposite. Like it's like a very functioning network. You know, it still has a much growing to do. So I'm not going to pretend that it's, you know, it's perfect today. There's definitely a lot to improve on, but, you know, it definitely is functional. So I think the perception of Lightning is far below where it actually is. Whereas you have the opposite inverse and a lot of other different tokens and coins and networks and such. If you had one minute with a room full of developers, what would your Lightning Network pitch be? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I think I would say Lightning Network does two things. So not to get too deep in the woods with Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is, in my opinion, the best money humans have ever seen. Uh, and I think it'll be around for hundreds of years from now. And 
Lightning is this new green pasture of building payments technologies on top of Bitcoin. And there's a ton of opportunity because it's new. It's only been up for three years, you know, running. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity to build the unicorn companies of the future today on Lightning and, you know, jump in. <laughs> that was one of the big reasons I'm now talking <laughs> to you, Chaz. Um, that was one of the big reasons why I was interested in Lightning too, because it was, you know, it's green pastures. Like you can pretty much, there's a lot that can be done on Lightning that hasn't been done yet. You know, it's not like a very competitive space. There's, there's a lot of open opportunity. Like I did, I built a developer tool, which <laughs> you would assume, at least I would assume this already would have existed, but it didn't. So someone had to do it. So there's tons of opportunities to building, you know, whether it's open source software or starting a business, there's a lot of opportunity in Lightning and Bitcoin. Just to make it as clear as possible, do you have any action items for any devs out there that might be listening on how they could just get their feet wet? Day one is the docs.lightning.engineering. We tried to make that as, as approachable as possible for a developer audience to see, you know, a uh, walkthrough uh, kind of a scenario, a use case, and just play with Polar, write a few lines of code to see it, create an invoice, and then pay that invoice and watch the payment move from node to node. I think once you see how fast it is, it's pretty impressive, especially if you're familiar with Bitcoin and you see how long it takes for payment to pass when you realize you can transact Bitcoin in seconds versus it taking 10, 30 minutes for a, a payment to confirm. Uh, you'll be blown away by Lightning and use it. I, I think that's another good thing. I think, you know, being a user exposes you to where the pain points are, like what's challenging, what what can be improved on in terms of the experience of using the Lightning Network. And then I think to close us out, I just want to ask you what you think the future outlook for Lightning Network looks like. I think, this is my personal opinion, and obviously I'm biased, but I think the Lightning Network will be the, the primary way that most people interact with Bitcoin. Can't say it won't happen. It'll be a year from now, but let's just say 10 years from now, I don't think anyone will use base chain Bitcoin. I think Lightning is what everyone will use. When they say, when you say Bitcoin, you mean Lightning, and Lightning and Bitcoin will be the, basically the same exact thing. I think that pretty much uh, sums up this show. Uh, did you want to let the listeners know how they can find you and whatever else you want to share on the internet? I'm on uh, Twitter at Jamal JSR. Or you can reach out to me on um, the Lightning Labs Slack channel. Um, if you go to Lightning Down Engineering, at the bottom there's a link to the Slack, so you can reach me there. Also, uh, check out lightningpolar.com. That is the polar app for any developers that kind of want to just play. Or even if you're not a developer, you're just interested in seeing how Lightning works, it's also a good place to just visualize with a tool versus having to set up a node and touch stuff. Those are kind of the best places to reach me. I'm just going to shout out one other thing. We actually, uh, Lightning Labs host um, a clubhouse called the Lightning Lab. On Clubhouse every Wednesday at uh, 4 p.m. EST that we discuss, you know, we kind of listen to the community on questions they have and try to give answers to new developers and uh, new folks coming into Lightning Network. 
Uh, we also just recently, this week, just announced a, a Discord. We opened uh, a Discord where we'll have office hours for you know any developers or businesses wanting to get into the Lightning space and just want to have someone from the Lightning Labs team to talk to about questions and such. It's another thing you can find if you look up on Twitter at Lightning is the Lightning. There'll be uh, links to follow that. You'll you'll get the post for when those events are happening. Uh, perfect. I was kind of joking with Ryan before uh, you guys had the uh, Discord office hours and saying, how dare you host this on an elitist iOS only <laughs> platform? Yeah, we get that. Definitely get that critique. It, it's pretty surprising. I, I actually wasn't a big fan of Clubhouse when I first heard about it. I was like, ah, oh, not another app. And then once we kind of held a couple of these sessions, I realized, oh, this is this is pretty cool. And we, we've gotten pretty big turnout. But yeah, we definitely saw like, you know, we got to be more open to not just specifically iOS people and a subset of iOS people because of the whole private invite system and such. So we definitely got to try to get more people engaged in these conversations. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast, Jamal. Thank you so much, Chaz. It was a pleasure to be here. Boom. That was the 42nd episode of the Latin and Junkies podcast. Hopefully you learned something. Hopefully you were inspired to go learn something new about the Lightning Network. Try out Polar or all the other different ways that you can contribute to Bitcoin, to the Lightning Network, to the community, to the non-community, whatever, etc. So don't let any kind of self-doubt or anything else like that stop you from contributing or help yourself by helping others is, I think, a very good philosophy. If you'd like to support the show, once again, you can find the ways you could do that at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. Our store is at store.lightningjunkies.net. You can get a See You on the Lightning Network sticker, a Lightning Junkies hat, t-shirt, and a couple other goodies on there as well. For now, I will see all you beautiful, beautiful junkies on the Lightning Network. <laughs> <laughs>